Progress. All right, my friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, November 16, 2021. It is great to see you all. There is a lot to talk about today, and we're going to start with the story of Jacob and the angel. I, I know, I know what you're thinking. The sky and angels, what is going on? Every Monday and Thursday, every other day, there's a story with him and the angels, and there is. He's a man who dabbled in the, in the angelic realm, and in today's reading, or at least in the part that we're doing today, we're going to read about the mysterious, shocking, dazzling encounter that Yaakov, Jacob, has with, with an angel. Let's jump inside. Um, oh, quick context. Jacob is on his way back after 34 years. He's on his way back home to encounter his brother. He sent gifts. He's buttering him up. He's preparing for the worst, preparing for war. He's praying. He's prayed to God. And um, it's at night. He crossed his family every, on all his possessions. They went across a river. He went back to grab a few things that he forgot behind. This is what happens next. Here we go. This is chapter 32 of Genesis, verse number 25. And Jacob was left alone. Why was he left alone? Well, like I just said, he went across the he went back across the river, the Yabok River, to fetch a few things that he left behind. He was now alone. It's at night, and here's what happened. And a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. He wrestles with a man. Now this man is understood to be not a not a human not a human man, but a an angel in the form of a man. It was an angel that assumed human form, which we've encountered multiple times in the Torah already. Remember the three angels that came to Abraham, and there are other instances, the Nephilim, the fallen angels, that assumed human form as well. Here we have an angel assuming human form, wrestling with Jacob all night until the break of dawn. This is the ultimate struggle, the ultimate battle. There's a lot to, to share on this, but let's, let's move the chains forward a little bit, and then I'm going to go back. When he saw... That's the angel. When the angel saw, verse 26, that he could not prevail against him, against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip became dislocated as he wrestled with him. Essentially, the angel realizes that he can't vanquish Jacob, so he gives him a clap, gives him a hit on the hip, and he dislocates his hip to try to injure him. And the angels, not the true, to injure him. Verse 27, and the angel said, I, I don't know why suddenly the pronoun is, uh, is broken out in parentheses here. All right, nonetheless, I mean, we could have used that before also. But anyway, the angel said to him, to Jacob, let me go for dawn is breaking. What does this mean? The angels pray to God at daybreak, at, when, when, at the rise of dawn. This angel was on a shift of angels that was meant to be singing God's praises. The angel says to Jacob, bro, I got to go. My shift, I got, I, I got another, I got a prior engagement. So he whacks him on the, th on the hip and he says, let me go, I got to go. So they're, they're engaged in, in this wrestling match. But Jacob said to him, no, no, not, so, not so fast. I will not let you go unless you have blessed me. You're not going anywhere until you've given me a blessing. So the angel said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, that makes sense, that is his name. And the angel said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, 
Lo Yaakov ye Omer od Shimcha. Your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, Jacob. Rather, it should be called Israel, Yisrael. Why? Because you have commanded power. Because you have commanding, sorry, you have commanding power with an angel of God and with men, and you have prevailed. In other words, you have the strength to overcome angels and men. You've, you've, fought, you've, um, you've survived against the treachery of Lavan. You survived my treachery of my wrestling, my surprise sneak attack, and you prevailed. Yisrael represents victory in the struggle. Just so I want to just throw in a quick idea here. We're going to circle back to go very deep in the story. But just the first point I want to mention is the difference between Yaakov and Yisrael is that Yaakov symbolizes the struggle. Yaakov, remember Yaakov, he was called, he was called that name because Akov means heel. When, when the twins were born, Yaakov was holding onto the heel of his brother, which indicates trying to get out first. It says he was trying to grab his leg, his older brother's leg, to pull him back in so he could go out first. Didn't work. So Yaakov represents the struggle that's not always successful. It's being entrenched in the dirt, in the struggle, in the pit. It's about that. It's about the. It's it's about it's about that 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 the the entrenchment of struggle. What about what about Yisrael? Yisrael represents the overcoming of the struggle. Yisrael represents the victory, emerging from the struggle victorious. That's why he is called Yisrael because you have commanding power with angels and with men, and you have prevailed. Prevailed, i.e., it's the victory. Let's continue, which represents, by the way, two personas that we all possess, which we'll talk about in a moment. And Jacob, just, yeah. Me, so were the two angels sent specifically to be a test? Which two? Uh, the, the one that fight, was fighting Jacob now. Just one angel. The that one. angel was sent, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back soon. I'm going to explain that angel in a second. I'm going to explain that angel. Let's, but let, let's finish this, then I'll go back. And Jacob asked and said, now tell me your name. Right? You're changing my, you asked me my name. I said, Jacob. You said, no, no, yeah, uh, Yisrael, giving you a new name. Okay, great, but what's your name? And he said, why is it that you ask for my name? And he blessed him there. Basically, the angel said, I'm not giving you that information. You're not getting my name. That's it. I ask you the questions. You don't ask me the questions. That's the, that's the short answer. So tough, tough angel, tough cookie, this angel. Okay, so let's, um, let's unpack the story and, and start, start again from the beginning and understand this a little bit better. Number one, why was Yaakov left alone? I mentioned before he left some things. From here, our sages tell us, pachem ketanim. They're known as pachem ketanim, small vessels, small jugs, small containers of something. Right? Knickknacks. Patty wax, give a dog a bone. Some sort of like some sort of stuff that he left behind. From here we learn that for tzaddikim, their possessions are considered to be extremely important to them. For the righteous, their material possessions are very important. Which sounds and that's what our sages say. Honestly, that sounds like a contradiction. If you're really righteous, yeah, if you're really spiritual, who cares about the small vessels? You with me on this? So the Rebbe explains. Chassidus explains that no, what our sages say is accurate. Because the more righteous you are, the more you see the spiritual energy in everything. 
The more you realize that nothing is created for no reason. The more you realize that everything has a purpose in you. If you have this, if you own it, it's an indication that you can unlock the soul of that thing through proper use of it. So for an example, the possessions that we have, everything in existence has a spiritual core, has what we call in Kabbalah an ashama, a soul, or a nefesh, a soul, or it has a, um, a nitzutz, a spark of divinity. Everything without exception has a spark. Now, assuming it's kosher, when I say kosher, I mean that broadly, not necessarily about food. Assuming that it is, um, it's halachically, it's Jewish legally permitted, right? So that that spark is accessible, you can unlock it by utilizing that item in the proper way, with the proper mindset. Intention matters, our actions matter. When utilizing a thing for, in a proper way for the right reason, we unlock the soul of that thing we, and we essentially, it's, I don't want to make it sound too hocus pocus. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not too far out there. It means very simply. When, for, let's just go to food. Food is the classic example of Kabbalah. When we eat food, not just for our own base, animalistic, physical, bodily desire and temptation, but rather we eat food to give us the energy that we need to serve God, to do a mitzvah, to help out someone else, to study Torah, to pray, whatever it is. We, we, we use the energy of the food. We're eating the food with the intention that we're deriving energy that is then going to fuel our day to do good things and make the world a better place when that is the intentionality. So what happens is, we, in essence, we, in essence, reveal the purpose of the food in the first place. The food doesn't exist for you and I to indulge. That God created food for human indulgence. Are you kidding me? That's why God created food? No. God created food to be fuel for the human condition, for the human being. God created it to be an asset for our divine service, not to be a liability to make us, what we would call in Yiddish, grub, insensitive, physically coarse, right? That's not, that's not why God created the food. So when we eat the food for the right intention, what we're saying or what we're doing in that action is realizing the purpose of that, of that thing, of that very item. We're elevating and realizing its purpose. It's utilizing it for the right reason. It's like a smartphone. You can use it as a paperweight. You can use it as a doorstop. Take a brand new iPhone, the 13 Pro, yeah? And wedge it into your door to hold the door, yeah? Does it function as a door, as a, as a, as a door wedge? Sure, maybe. I don't know if it's not really that, that angled, but whatever. Could it function theoretically as a door wedge? Yes. Is that the reason why it's created? No. Is that horrifying if someone used it for that purpose? Yes. God created food. God created everything for a higher purpose. Utilizing a thing for its intended purpose is completing the circuit. Utilizing it for a purpose other than what it's intended is degrading it, degrading ourselves, and not tapping into its potential. I hope that makes sense. So why did Jacob, that's a long point for a short idea, or that's a long journey for, for a straightforward point. Why is it that Jacob goes back across the river Yabok, the Yabok River, to chase down the Pachim Ketanim, the few jugs? It sounds like the, the Hanukkah story. Remember that? There was a Pach Echad Shalshem and one jug of oil, right, that they found with the seal of the high priest. One jug, one small jug can be very valuable. We know this, right? So Yaakov goes back. Why? Because his possessions are valuable. The more spiritual you are, the more you realize that everything that crosses your path has a higher purpose. To neglect anything would be to say, I don't see value in this. 
I don't see divine purpose in this. And that's, the, and that's to essentially shut God out of a part of his world. And that is untenable. That's unthinkable for a tzaddik. Does that make sense? Checking in. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Mark, are you here? I'm here. Hey, Mark. Welcome. Hi. All right. Thanks. So that's why he goes back after the Pachamktanim. By the way, it says in Kabbalah, and it's even brought down in some commentaries, Halacha, like the Maral of Prague, who blends Kabbalah and Halacha. So he explains that the, the, the laws of ownership, like the Jewish legal triggers of ownership, are all about ascertaining when the indication is that this thing is significant for this person to engage in. Because the things that we own are not happenstance, not just go, we, we, we happen to own it, we happen to buy this thing. No, if it's, in our owner, if it's in our possession, if we have it, it means that it's something that our soul is meant to engage with or to reject, by the way. Something comes across us that's not kosher. The message is not to indulge in it for a higher purpose. The message is to reject it. So certain things are rejected. Certain things are, uh, most things, I guess, if they're permitted things, are to be, to be utilized for something positive. So that is the whole essence of the laws of, of Jewish laws of ownership, the laws of Kenyan, the laws of acquisition. They're all about ascertaining when it is that something, this item, this uh, widget, has left the spiritual purpose and destiny of person A and moved to the spiritual purpose and destiny of, purpose, uh, of person number B. Okay, so that's a little bit about the, mystic, the mysticism of jugs, the Kabbalah of small jugs. So let's continue. Uh, again, we, we read the story. I wanted to read it through. Now we're going back to, like, to focus and hone in on details. So that's why Jacob is alone. And a man wrestles with him until the break of dawn. So who is this man? The, an angel. Which angel? The commentators explain it is the guardian angel of Esau, of Esau. Okay, every person, every, certainly every nation has a guardian angel, has an angel that represents that thing, that theme, that energy, that person, or that nation. Esau, who's the father of, an, of a nation, the nation of Edom, the, the Edomites, Esau, Esau, he has an angel. This angel was the one that was wrestling with Jacob. In other words... The night before the physical encounter between the two brothers, Yaakov and Esav, there is this metaphysical encounter, this metaphysical slash physical encounter between Jacob's spirit and the spirit of this angel that are wrestling. I'm not suggesting that it was a, a completely, you know, a, a, a nightmare, you know, a dream of, of a battle. I'm suggesting this battle, happened, this battle took place. But it's between Yaakov and an angel. So certainly there is a higher level uh, of battle here. And it's the struggle. It's the struggle between two ideologies. The ideology of Yaakov and the ideology of, of Asaph. And the ultimate message with Yaakov, with, with Jacob being victorious, prevailing, is that at the end of the day, ultimately, good, truth, righteousness, morality, right, Torah will prevail. At the end of the day, that, that, that will prevail. This creates a very interesting, we, we can learn from this a very interesting and a very important lesson for all of us. 
because the two names of Yaakov, well, his name Yaakov and his new name Yisrael, as I alluded to before, are indicative of two modalities that exist between us, that exist within us, within each, each and every one of us. There are certain times that we struggle, and we struggle fiercely, and honestly, sometimes we, we, we end up winning, and sometimes we end up not winning. And then there are times when we don't struggle at all. There are our Jacob times. Those are days that we wake up and everything is a battle. Everything is a struggle. We may not want to get out of bed or we may not want to do the right thing. We may not want to be our noble, beautiful, light-filled self. We may want to be just low and, 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 and just self-absorbed and narcissistic and focusing on self. That's, those are the Jacob days. And then we have Yisrael Israel days. What are Yisrael days, Israel days? Those are the days in which everything is clicking find it easy. We're victorious. We conquer the angels. We conquer the men. We conquer anything that needs to be conquered. Not that, not that everything is, you know, without any hiccup, but we're able to smooth, to go, to go through it and to, um, to withstand all of the challenges. This is Jacob and Israel, Yaakov and Yisrael, as described in Kabbalah and Chassidus, Chassidic philosophy. This is, these are these two personas that exists within each and every one of us. And it's a, it could be a day-by-day day or even minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment um, duality. In this moment, we're Jacob, we're struggling. The next moment, Yisrael, we're victorious. These are, these, are the, um, these are the dynamics that exist within us because we're so conflicted, because of the inner tension between godly soul and animal soul, higher self and lower self. There's always this, uh, this duality between the struggle and the victory. Along these lines, along these lines, it's interesting that we find in Torah that even after Yaakov's name is changed to Yisrael, the Torah, God, reverts and refers to him as Yaakov. The two names are interchangeable. We don't find this with Avram or Sarah. We don't find this with other name changes or Yahushua. We don't find this with other, other classic biblical figures who received the name change. By the way, this is not just the angel that changes Yaakov's name to Yisrael. God, as we'll see soon, God himself um, designates Yaakov's new name as Yisrael. And yet, the very same Torah, the very same God, refers to him again after that point in time as Yaakov and Yisrael, Yaakov and Yisrael, back and forth. Avram was changed. His name was Avram, changed to Avraham. It was Sarai, it became Sarah. It was Hosea, it became Yehoshua. In all of these instances, once the name was changed, you're not, you, you, one is not supposed to mention the old name. It's a new name. It, their name was changed, out with the old, in with the new. With Jacob and Israel, both remain standing. And Chassidus explains very simply, based on what I just explained. It's because on a spiritual level, or on a representative level, what does Yaakov and Yisrael represent? The struggle and the conquest. Okay? Even after a conquest, tomorrow we might struggle again. I hope that makes sense. Today we might have been granted the name Yisrael. We might have been victorious in our battle. We might have experienced smooth sailing. But guess what? Tomorrow you wake up and you know what might happen? You might find yourself once again starting the day as a Yaakov, as a struggler, as a wrestler. You might find yourself back to where you started. And you might wonder... What happened to my progress? The Torah says, don't worry. Yaakov became Yisrael. 
He became Yaakov again. He became Yisrael again. He became Yaakov again. Life is a constant battle, ups and downs. More downs than ups. More struggles than victories. But we must keep on fighting. And even when we've achieved a breakthrough, we can never rest on our laurels. That's the message. Never rest on your laurels thinking, I will not struggle with this again. Prepare for the struggle to once again happen. Does this make sense? Yes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why it's very important to remember that Yaakov and Yisrael are continuously used to, to evoke this idea. Okay, I want to share one of my favorite in, um, understandings of this, which is completely different than everything we've set up until now. What is this struggle? It's interesting. You know, it says, the okay, there's a contradiction in this verse. I'm sure I mentioned this last year, but it's been a year, so I'm going to repeat it. It says, Yaakov was left alone, verse 25, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. Well, I have a, a klutz kasha, which means such an obvious question that no one even bothers to ask it because you feel like you're silly for asking it. But I'm going to be I'm going to take the bait and I'm going to ask it. It says Yaakov was left alone. Alone implies no one else is there. And then it says a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. So if there is um, if he's alone, how is there a man? If there's a man to wrestle with him, then guess what? He's not alone. Now, you might say, no, alone means vis-a-vis his family and his friends and his entourage. He was alone. But if you look at the word alone, literally, literally means alone, the only one. So then who is this man? Where is this man? Which leads some commentaries to share something quite daring, which I'll share with you right now. And that is that Yaakov's struggle is not with someone else, but it's with himself. Yaakov is experiencing what we might call um, internal turmoil or an internal battle. Yaakov is wrestling with himself. Yaakov was left alone and a man wrestled with him. What's a man? An internal dynamic, an internal force. When does this battle happen? It happens at night. So the commentators explain, the commentators that that hone in on on this interpretation explain that it's at night, not only exclusively at night, but more often than not, it's at night that the inner demons come out. When I say demons, the complicated thoughts and the complicated feelings and the self-doubts and the sadness and the feelings of whatever it is, the darkness and feeling alone, right, has a way of bringing out what we would call negative internal forces, internal feelings, internal thoughts, internal dynamics. And we have to wrestle with that. What's the solution? What's the solution? Simple. Recognize that we're not alone. It doesn't mean necessarily there has to be somebody next to us. What it means is recognize that Hashem is always with us. I told you, I think I mentioned this previously, that I'm wrapping up a book, a new book, on the Rebbe's wisdom on wellness, right? Internal, psychological, emotional wellness. One of the major, one of the 11 themes that the book focuses on is this idea that you and I are never alone. A human being is never alone because God is with us. Now you're going to say, I don't see God. Perfect. Perfect. Now it requires study, prayer, meditation, and a lot of internal spiritual work to feel that God, and, and, and opening up our eyes to see the divine providence all around us, to recognize that, no, 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 we are not alone. God is with us. But when you and I are on that page of feeling that God is with me, 
with us. We're never alone, and the demons are a little bit less intrusive. That's the way it works. Knowing, knowing, not just believing, but knowing that God is with me helps me combat those feelings of aloneness, and of course loneliness, but aloneness is stronger than loneliness, right? Loneliness is, I want a companion, but aloneness is this scary, this, this, this wrestling that we're speaking of. What is the antidote? Recognizing that you're not alone. Recognizing that God is with you. Now you're going to say, so Jacob was left alone, that means he didn't feel that God was with him. I didn't say that, but you may be thinking that. I'm, now you're thinking that, for sure, now that I asked the question, right? There you go. I'm planting thoughts in your mind. Look at me. Um, how literal does this interpretation, which is, I think, more, a little bit more allegorical, how does it fit back into the physical narrative? Are we suggesting that Yaakov didn't have proper faith to proper trust? I don't know. I, I don't know that I could extend it that far. I could just say that on an allegorical level, on a metaphysical level, not even metaphysical, but on a, on a conceptual level, we're talking about the dynamic of feeling alone. That brings out the struggle. And the antidote is you're not alone because you're actually not alone. You, we're not alone. We're not alone. You know, we're looking for life out there. You, you, know, you know this, right? We're looking for life out there. Um, remember there was an old radio station back in the day maybe it's still around it had this guy on at night late night he would talk about UFOs and other strange phenomena you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no I mean there are many I think are there many out there? well there was I remember back in the day there was like one this guy was coast to coast coast to coast radio somebody took over I think he passed away or he retired anyway it was all like all these like wild stuff like whatever yeah everyone's looking for life out there there is life out there we call it God right God is out there are there little green green creatures no idea haven't seen them let me know if you find them but I'll tell you this there is life out there and there is the source of all sources, the life of all lives the existence of all existences is out there not only out there but is in there in here is with us, we're not alone. All right, so that's, uh, that's that idea. Now, why does he hit him on the hip? Next, next uh, point of focus here. Why does the angel hit Yaakov, Jacob, on his hip and dislocate his hip? Well, you might say that he was trying to get free. I mean, is this MMA? Is this like Yaakov had him in like this leg lock that he was trying to get released from, so he hits him in the hip to release? I mean, if you... Typically, wrestling, at least, you know, conventional wrestling, I don't mean WWE necessarily, but conventional wrestling has an arm, you know, wrestling is with the arms primarily. So if he was trying to have Jacob let go of him so he could, so the angel could go, you would think he would dislocate his arm, his shoulder, not his hip. Are you with me on my question? Does my question make any sense? Yeah. I've yeah. always visualized it like that too, an actual, like, fight like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, like straight up like a wrestling. So you would, you would imagine like arms, right? Maybe some legs, but primarily arms. So why is he hitting him in, this, in, in his hip socket? Well, maybe that's what he had access to. I, I mean, who knows? But there's got to be more. So I'll share with you a commentary that I think is absolutely dazzling. Absolutely brilliant. And the commentary says the following. Jacob had thus far shown a propensity and shown a natural inclination to fleeing from conflict. 
I'll say that again. Up to this point, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our forefather, has, had shown, had demonstrated that when things got a little tough, he ran. What do I mean? Well, when life with Asaph, his brother, gets a little bit tense, what does he do? He runs. When life at Lavan gets too much to bear, what does he do? Runs in the middle of the night. The angel was afraid. According to the, again, we have different understandings of the angel and, and the purpose. I understand them giving you a, a, a variety of commentary. That's because there's so much on this story. It's so rich. And I don't want to leave uh, what I feel are important things out. But it's a completely different understanding. Why does the angel hit him on the hip? So that physically he cannot run away from the encounter that he will have tomorrow morning, the next morning. He was, they, they were going to meet Esau, his brother, with 400 men coming for battle. They were, according to most commentaries, those 400 men were armed and they were ready for battle. Esau had not forgotten and he had not forgiven up to that point. Yaakov is coming and you might, and, and, and by, just, you know, what is it? Um, past performance you know, is not always indicative of future results, but it might be indicative of, of a pattern of behavior. And so what's the pattern of Yaakov's behavior? It's fleeing instead of fighting. It's fleeing instead of engaging with that conflict, with the, the difficulty. So what does the angel do? Hits him on the hip, dislocates his hip. You want to run? You can't run. So now you have to deal with. Reminds me of the story. The Baal Shem Tov said, Baal Shem Tov once gave a, um, a parable, beautiful parable. He explained the role of the chazan, of the cantor on the high holidays. What's the role of the cantor? There's once a forest that had many, many animals, or a jungle, a savanna, whatever it is. And who was the king of the jungle? The king of yeah, the lion. And all of the animals knew you got to keep the lion happy. If the lion's not happy, no one's happy. One day, the rumor spreads, the lion is very upset. No one really knows why, but the lion is so upset. And with one, you know, with one movement, the lion can wreak havoc on anyone and everyone. Everyone, all of the animals are absolutely in trepidation. They call an emergency meeting of all of the elder council people, council animals, council, the elder council, the elders on the council of all the animals. So representatives of all the animals get up there and they all suggest ideas. What do we do? What, what do we do with this, with this lion? How do we placate the lion? The fox says, you don't need to have a discussion anymore. I have the solution. The fox says the following. I have 300 stories that will absolutely change, that, that can and will and do absolutely change the feeling of anyone from sad to happy, from depressed to excited, to just from one extreme to the other. I can make people cry. I can make people laugh. I can make them leap for joy and sing on top of the rooftops, I have the power of storytelling like nobody's business. The fox says, I will be your leader. 
we will send all, we will all go together as a delegation. We will go to that lion, the Lion King. They should make a, a film or a musical with that name. We'll, we'll go to, I'll lead the delegation to the Lion King and then the lion will be putty in my hands, whatever we want. I'll tell him a few stories. I've got 300 stories. Wow. Such a sell, such a sell. Wow. I mean, the, the, the fox really sold it. Everyone bought it. They voted. The fox's idea wins. The fox leads the way. The other animals are behind the fox. The elders and then others. And everyone's making this entourage. The, the, about a third of the journey through, the fox turns around to the animal and says, I, I don't know what happened. I just forgot a hundred stories. I just can't recall. A hundred of the stories. Animals start getting a little nervous, a little nervous uh, murmuring in the back, right? A little murmuring in the background. Don't worry. Don't worry, says the fox. I have 200 more. Or maybe the, the owl says, oh, don't worry. Who? Right? He has another 200. Who? He has another 200 stories. We're fine. Okay? They keep on going another third of the way. The fox turns around and says, I, I forgot another 100 stories. The wise bear says, it's okay. He still has 100 stories left. We're fine. They finish the journey and arrive at the lion's den, at the palace of the lion. And they knock on the door and the guards open up. And right then the fox turns around and says, I forgot the last 100 stories. I have nothing. At this point, panic ripples through the crowd. There's panic and fear. And now accusations fly. You never had the 300 stories. You're a liar. You set us up to be killed. What's wrong with you? Are you Meshuggah? What's crazy? The fox turns around and says, I got you here. And now that you're here, each of you has to speak with your own voice to speak to the king. The Baal Shem Tev said, this is the story of the Chazan of the Cantor on the High Holidays. What, you think the Chazan, the Cantor, is going to pray for you? No. He may inspire you, if he's a good Cantor. But at that point, he may take you to the king. But then you have to open up your voice. You have to share your thoughts. You have to bear your soul to your Creator. Sometimes, we need a little help getting there. Because we might be afraid. Yaakov might have run away. He ran away from Esau once. He ran away from love in the middle of the night. And now was his third moment of conflict. Some people love conflict. Some people love, oh, they fight. I'm in. Some people run into conflict. They love it. It gets them excited. Some people, it sucks their energy. And they would rather do anything else than be involved in conflict. Yaakov, it seems, according to this commentary, was one who disdained conflict. He did not appreciate conflict. And he was a runner. He was a fleer. And so the angel says, not this time, bunk. You can't run. You can't hide. You're here. Now you're going to face the music and work it out. All right, questions, comments? Well, your story reminds of the animals. The last episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, Larry David was playing golf with a rabbi, and the wager was if Larry David lost, he had to go to see the services with the with the rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. There you go. 
There you go. Is Curb Your Enthusiasm, is that finished? Did that wrap up? No, I think they just added another season. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Let's, um, any other questions, comments? I know I hit you with a lot of stuff today. Nope. Well, I have a question going back to the, you know, all things with the sacredness within and it's up to us to, so I know like, so food is elevated through the mitzvah of kosher, but what about things where there might not be a clear cut? Excellent. Excellent. Right. Excellent. What about a a house or a car or um, a computer? So the question is, what are we using it for? Now, it doesn't have to be the exclusive use, but what's, right, a vehicle, right, transportation to get us to a class, to get us to study Torah, to get us to synagogue, done, it's elevated. A home in which we celebrate Shabbat and the holidays and guests and family and friends and celebrate good occasions and, and pray and do mitzvot in and give tzedakah in, elevated. By the way, along those lines, the Rebbe was a very strong advocate on a practical level to make sure we have mitzvah items in every, rooms, in every room of the house. So kosher food in the kitchen and books in the living room, Jewish books in the living room, and um, uh, uh, mezuzah on the doors of every room, ideally, and charity boxes around the home. Every room should have a mitzvah, except for the bathroom. The bathroom's a bathroom. But like every room should have, should have a mitzvah item. So books, in fact, we were having coming up in Kislev. Teves. The plan is that in a few months, we're going to be doing a Jewish book fair. You come out, we'll have like tons of Jewish books that you can purchase or order. And uh, because the Rebbe had a campaign that everyone should have Jewish books in their home. So we're going to ship a bunch of books over here and have them available for purchase. And, um, And that's it. So it's about filling the spaces with holiness and everything. It's not only food, everything. Right? Money can be used, obviously, for good things, right? Tzedakah. And, and, and everything that we, that, that, that we encounter, unless it's absolutely forbidden by Jewish law, and then that's meant to be avoided and not utilized for something positive because it's asur, it's tied. The energy is tied down too much to untether, to, un, to, to untie. So it's a general precept and principle. There's no specific mitzvah to elevate. Correct. Now, there's a lot of mitzvahs, a lot of things, but even outside the realm of a specific mitzvah, you see, there's two things. There's the realm of the mitzvah, that's, that's obvious. There's a the realm of the forbidden, that's obvious. And then there's the majority of existence, which is, and, and that's what you're talking about, that gray area in between, where it could be used for something positive or negative or even just keep kept on as neutral. Like, I didn't eat, you know, indulgently, but I didn't eat either for higher. I just ate. I don't know. I just ate. I wasn't thinking. I just ate. So that remains neutral. That, that is potential that was untapped because we could have been more mindful now, it's not, no one's, no one's uh, you know, coming down on anyone, but it's just for ourselves to know that opportunities, most of life includes opportunities of elevation outside a specific mitzvah. So there's no overall, but I'm just, I'm wondering if there's an encapsulation. Yes, like, yeah. There's, the principle to someone. Yes, there's a verse that says, Bechal derechecha de'ehu, in all of your ways, you should know God. In other words, everything that we do, we should have a higher consciousness in that experience. So that would be the, that category. In everything, in all of your ways, know him. That's the instruction. Okay, now let's do, let's, 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 let's um, again, I'm using a football analogy. Let's move the chains and jump into reading number three. 
We're going to do this fairly quickly. Can you guys see that? Did it come up on the screen? Yes? Okay. Reading number three, Vayishlach, Genesis chapter 32. In the aftermath of the struggle, Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I saw an angel face to face. Well, that's how we know it was an angel. There we go. And my soul was saved. So Peniel is like Panim and Kel, face and God. I saw the face of God or face of an angel and my soul was saved. Okay. And the sun rose for him when he passed Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Yeah, limping. You see that? Can't run now. Okay, sorry. That was, I said that with a little too, uh, too much excitement. Next, therefore, verse 33, the children of Israel. Oh, we got a practical law. Look at this. Speaking of a mitzvah in, in unusual spaces. Therefore, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, may not eat the displaced tendon, the gidhanasha, which is on the socket of the hip until this day. For he has touched, for he touched, the angel touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the hip sinew. This is a, a law of kosher to this very day, a kosher animal. Slaughtered properly, blood extracted, right? Seems good to go. Healthy animal, all is good, all clear. Green lights, green lights, as far as the eye can see. You can't eat certain parts of the animal, including the part that, that, that is um, connected with this displaced tendon, known as the sciatic nerve. Anything that's running along the sciatic nerve, that, is not, that cannot be eaten. And the kosher, Jewish kosher butchers will cut away that area, that going to non-kosher, the non-kosher pile of food, and the rest would be kosher. Now, there are other, other parts also that are, that, are not to, that are not kosher for other reasons, but this is one of the parts of the animal that is not kosher. So, for example, like a rump roast, or I don't know if that's what it's called, but I, it sounds like familiar, vaguely familiar. That's not kosher because that is from that area of the animal that, uh, that touches that, that part. So, again, it could be a kosher animal, a cow, could be slaughtered properly, healthy animal, blood extracted, still can't eat parts of it. This is why, because of the story with Jacob, which tells us that the story is not just a once upon a time, oh, Jacob, our uh, grandpa Jacob was, uh, was injured, but, you know, all's well that ends well. To this very day, we're re, we're, we, every time we eat meat, we, we're reminded subtly about this story because the meat that we're eating is only the meat that's not of that area because he was hit by the angel. All right, Genesis chapter 33, let's continue. Jacob lifted his eyes and saw, behold, Esau was coming. So now it's the next morning. Dawn has broken. The angel is gone. Jacob is limping. He's back with his family. Esau's approaching. And with him were the 400 men. So he divided the children with Leah and with Rachel and with the two maidservants. Remember, he divided his camp, preparing for the worst. If one gets, gets uh, you know, but if one gets slaughtered, if one gets murdered, the other one will survive. God forbid, right? Um, murder. But he divides his children also. Divides his kids, two camps. And he placed the maidservants and their children first and Leah and her children after and Rachel and her son Joseph and, jo and her Joseph last. So, um, again, uh, could we say priority? Who's in the front lines of the people? The maidservants and their children. Then we have Leah and her children, and then Rachel and Joseph. They were last. Rachel, of course, was his first love. Joseph was the firstborn from the only thus far of his first love. Let's continue. And Jacob himself, he went first. Jacob went ahead of them and prostrated himself to the ground seven times. He bowed down seven times to his brother Esau. I picture that move, that dance move, where you like the belly flop, where you bounce back up, right? I'm not saying that 
Jacob necessarily had the moves, but we can't rule out that he didn't either. So I don't know, he bows down seven times until he came close to his brother. And Isa ran toward him. Uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going to happen? And embraced him. You guys know the ending of the story, right? It all ends well. He embraced him and he fell on his neck. Isa fell on Jacob's neck and kissed him and they wept. So the kiss is one way. Isa kissed Jacob. Doesn't indicate that Jacob kissed back. He fell on his neck and kissed him, and they both cried. They both did cry. And he lifted, Esau lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children, and he said, Who are these to you? Bro, where did all these people come from? Who are they? And he said, Ah, these are the children with whom God has favored your servant. In other words, these are the kids that God has blessed me with. All right, my friends, this takes us to the end of today. We're right in the middle of this encounter. I know what you're thinking. Are we going to end now? The answer is yes, we're going to end now. Because the last part, the last piece of the story, we're going to save for tomorrow. I'm going to share also tomorrow the various, the various commentaries on the kiss. If you look in the Hebrew, Vayishakehu, and he kissed him. There are dots over every letter of that word. I just highlighted it in blue on, on your screen. Va'yishakehu, and he kissed him. Has dots over it. If you're joining me tonight for our JLI course, Outsmarting Anti-Semitism, I will explain it tonight. If you don't join me tonight, you'll hear it tomorrow. If you don't join me tonight and hear it tomorrow and are joining Thursday, then I'm ruining the surprise. It doesn't matter. It's still going to be an enjoyable class Thursday. All will be good. Don't worry, all will be good. You'll still have a good time. Okay, but that's going to be explained tonight and Thursday and tomorrow. What are the dots above that word, Vayishakehu? What is the symbolism? There's a lot of power in the dots. Those dots, I should mention, are not the random dots and, and symbols that we find here in this online version of the Hebrew, but it's rather these are dots in the Torah itself. The Torah scroll doesn't have dots, typically, it doesn't have commas and and, and, and periods and dot, not, no punctuation. Dots above all of these letters. All six letters have dots. Why? Join me tomorrow to find out. Or tonight. Or Thursday. Or all three. All right, my friends. Any questions before we close out? No? All right. Let me give you my takeaways. Ready? Number one. We're all Jacob. We're all Israel. Some days are going to be easier than others. Some moments of the day, we'll feel it like we'll feel like we're, like we're on all, you know, we're, 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 we're hitting all, uh, uh, I can't even say the, the, the cliche, we're hitting all cylinders, and then other times we'll feel like we're just stuck in the mud. That's okay. The victory should give us, the Israel victory should give us hope in those Jacob times, and the Jacob times should give the Israel victories that much more appreciation and sweetness, knowing how much of a struggle life is. Um, that's one nukuda. That's one idea that we discussed today. Um, another idea is another idea is the idea of oh the wrestling and the man and the energy and the angel and the idea of being alone and 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 knowing that we're not alone, not running away from conflict, but ta- but 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 facing courageously our challenges head on. All of these themes, look, we're not going to repeat the themes, but just some things to think about as we uh, continue our day as a Jacob or an Israel. All right. Uh, Rabbi, so what is the literal translation of the word Israel? 
Sarkel, a minister of God, um, an officer, is that which dominates even over the heavenly angels. The dominator, the, the conqueror. So Israel is the struggler. Sorry. Jacob is the struggler and Israel is the conqueror. And my point is, life is not so binary. It's not, it's not, that's not how it works. It's not like, oh, I, 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 held my, I had a temptation and I held myself back. We're good. Oh, really? Yeah, just give it some time. That's going to come up again. And, all, and blank slate as to how, how it's going to go next time, or how we'll choose next time. That's a, it's a choice that's going to come up again. So, how does being the victor correspond to Israel being the holy, the name Israel identifying the holy land? Oh, why is it called the land of Israel? Yes. It's the land of the Jewish people. Israel is synonymous with the Jewish people, yeah. Yes, I, I know, but I mean, I mean I'm mean, i surprised to hear that he's called Israel. I mean, we had Moses who takes, leads the people to Israel. Yeah, but the, but the Jewish people are called B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. The children of Israel. The children of Israel, right? Because he fathered the 12 tribes. So Moses might have been the leader for the Exodus, but the father of the Jewish people... Abraham also had an, an Ishmael, and Isaac had an Esau. The first patriarch that had only Jewish children is Jacob. So we're called B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. Now, why aren't we called B'nai Jacob, B'nai Yaakov? Why isn't the land of Israel called the land of Yaakov? That's a good question. I guess it's to hopefully live up to this ideal of the, the conqueror and not the conquered, or the victor and not just the struggler. So I guess it's the, it's the ideal state, but then... So then the name Israel for the country, for the land, corresponds to Jacob becoming Israel. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Now I get it. Thank you. Sure. It's a good, it's a good point of clarification. Um, all right. Good. Great to see you guys. Have a wonderful day. Tonight, 8 p.m., Outsmarting Anti-Semitism, our online course, or join Thursday for bagel uh, lunch. Don't forget, we got a lot of stuff coming. Just a ton of stuff happening. Saturday night, Hanukkah party, jewelry making. Sunday, um, Sunday mitzvah day and, and, and other fun stuff. So join us and um, be part of it. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Bye, Sandrine. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Donna. Bye, Joy. Take care.